This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 713 with Ruchika Telshian. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 713. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Shameless Moms. Oh, I'm so excited to share this interview with you. I have to warn you, I had a little bit of a family emergency and was not able to be home at the time of the recording of this interview. So I was recording from a different location and my mic setup failed me and I ended up recording on my Apple AirPods, which are not like the most savvy recording equipment for an interview. So pardon my audio on my side. You will hear that my guest Ruchika, of course, has beautiful, excellent audio and mine leaves a little to be desired, but the content of this interview is fantastic. So thanks for being patient and bearing with me. I know that you're going to still really, really enjoy this conversation. So let me tell you a little bit about our fantastic guest today. Ruchika Tolshian is the author of Inclusion on Purpose, an intersectional approach to creating a culture of belonging at work. She's also the founder of Candor, an inclusion strategy practice. A former international business journalist, Ruchika is a regular contributor to the New York Times and Harvard Business Review. 
I first heard Ruchika speak on Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, which she's now been a guest on multiple times. She's also been on Dare to Lead. She's basically best friends with Brene. So, I mean, we can all be a little bit jealous. I became immediately obsessed with her work in that first conversation that I heard on Unlocking Us. I had the honor of then hearing her speak at her book launch party here in Seattle, where I was in the audience stalking and fangirling her. And then I hunted her down on LinkedIn afterwards and said, please, please come join me on the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so impressed by her work, but I really also wanted to talk to her about motherhood. And that was something I hadn't gotten to hear her speak much on in the other capacities on Brene's show or when she was talking about her book work. So I was like, hey, let's come on the show. We'll talk about your book and inclusion in the workplace and also motherhood. And we just had a fantastic conversation. The work that Ruchika is doing is so critically important. And the way that she does it is so deeply thoughtful and deeply, deeply impactful and intentional. So I was very excited and so honored when she said yes to coming on the show. Listening to hear Ruchika share how being an immigrant and women of color has impacted and challenged her as a mother, the social construct of imposter syndrome for women, and how it parallels the social construct of mom guilt, her challenges around being a working mom who travels for work, and how she's treated differently than men who do the same, the difference between diversity and inclusion, and how current systems undermine inclusion, even if promoting diversity, and her bridge framework for allies, advocates, and those wishing to lead in more inclusive and equitable ways across social systems. I know that you are going to love the work that Ruchika shares in this conversation. I know that you're going to relate to so many of her ideas and philosophies, and I'm so excited for you to be able to carry this work forward, especially through the use of her bridge framework. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Ruchika Tulshian to the Shameless Mom Academy. Ruchika, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. And I am a shameless mom. So I'm excited to have this conversation. We have to, I love like being super transparent with my audience. So we are both showing up in our most like shameless mom energy today that you had something you had to deal with, with a child issue. I'm dealing with something with a parent issue and I'm on like a totally different microphone and headset. And I'm certain the audio is horrible, but we're just, we're going with all of it. We're like, we're we're behind schedule. We have bad audio. (laughs) Here we go. Well, this is what we need, right? When you're going through that those really tough moments, you need each other to say like, actually it's totally okay. And you're still doing great. Yes. And I will say like, you gave me, you're like, let's just reschedule. And I was like, if you're cool with that, like not the best audio, let's just keep going. (laughs) Like we both give each other permission, like totally. So yes, this is how we get things done. (laughs) I'm so excited for this conversation. I have to fangirl just a little bit beyond the fangirling. And I already did before we hit record, but I heard you speak in Seattle when your book launched your book inclusion on purpose. And you did a book launch at Seattle town hall with Ijeoma Alua and it was such a fabulous night and I'm such a fan of both of your work. So for people listening, Ijeoma is the author of, so you want us to talk about race and one of the most important crucial books of the last 10 years for sure. And the two of you on stage together, I knew I was going to get this like massive education in that moment. But what was so fantastic was the energy that you had these two women, these two moms, these two incredible leaders on stage, just girlfriends having a conversation on like big, heavy topics, but bringing levity as you were speaking. It was just an incredible experience to be a part of that. 
Thank you. I mean, that moment will go down as one of my favorite moments of 2022. And Mm -hmm. I think what's great about Ijeoma is, and, you know, I've known her now for a number of years, so lucky to do that and to have that privilege. And what's great about Ijeoma is I've really seen her be a leader and be so, I mean, so you want to talk about races in New York Times and a Wall Street Journal bestseller, like all of those things. But honestly, she's also such an incredible mom. Like there are people whom, and I think this has been interesting about the whole like lean in career mom, you know, working mom sort of narrative where, you know, I think people say, okay, you can do it all. In reality, what I've seen is very successful women. It feels like there is, at least my observation, I think that there seems to be a very, and I feel this all the time, like that push and pull of like, should I be a mom or should I be, you know, should I attend this meeting or should I like, you know, attend the school play or whatever it is. And what I observed from Ijeoma, whose sons are older than mine, who is six, is it was very clear to me that if she struggles with that internal struggle, I don't see it, right? Like for me, it was very clear in various interactions I've had with her. It's very clear. Her priority is very much her son's. And it's amazing to see that you can truly prioritize your kids and still be super successful, super impactful, super effective. And I have to say, I have definitely been very, very inspired by in her motherhood and the way she shows up as a mom beyond all the amazing ways she shows up as a leader in the world. I love that. I think that when you're clear on your values and like clarity on values and legacy, I think then impacts motherhood. And I think that she has a lot of that as an outsider. <laughs> what I witnessed, mm-hmm. it seems like she has a lot of that. It seems like you have a lot of that. I think as I've built the Shameless Mom Academy, that's become increasingly clear. Like what are my values and what are what's the legacy I'm building? And when you have clarity on that, then the decisions that you make around how to show up parenting and how to show up as a mother and how to show up raising where you know you are raising a son, I'm raising a son, EGM is raising sons. It becomes your yeses and your nos and what you're going to do in different situations becomes not necessarily easy, but simple and clear because you're like, well, I know who I am and I know what matters most and what my values are. So this is why and how I'm going to prioritize one thing over another as it relates to parenting and mothering and raising sons. And I think that only becomes increasingly clear as you are in the space of building legacy Mm. and which you've done an incredible job with um, in terms of everything you, I mean, you've done it before your book for sure, but what you've done in writing of your book and then post writing of the book, I think it just is becoming more and more clear like what you're building and how that is going to impact parenting. Thank you. I really hope so. I mean, it's all related. Even the book, when I think about inclusion in the workplace, when I think about why I've focused specifically in the workplace, and I often get asked, you know, why the workplace, a lot of what you're talking about are huge challenges in society. What about in schools? What's interesting is to see so much of In fact, this was a surprise, or at least I didn't have this in my mind, but I've been getting a lot of feedback and a lot of appreciation from teachers and folks in you know, academic institutions in the K to 12 education system who say we can really apply a lot of your frameworks to kids, especially definitely in middle and high school, but also in elementary school. And when I wrote inclusion on purpose, that obviously that wasn't like my intended audience. I have focused specifically on workplaces and how do we create inclusive workplaces. But at the end of the day, it absolutely applies to society it absolutely applies to at the end of the day, you know, schools are 
employers as well. And so if you can have an inclusive environment where teachers from various backgrounds, women of color specifically, feel valued, like they belong, like they can really bring themselves into the classroom and into those spaces, then imagine how it catalyzes that in kids. So the potential to hopefully create a better world for, you know, my child, for your child, for children all over. That was something that was really a, a product and, and just a wonderful, beautiful byproduct, I guess, of the book that I didn't even imagine when I was writing it. Absolutely. And we're going to back up and then we're going to go forward. I want to back up with an earlier in life question in just a second. But yes. when I was listening to your audiobook, which is such a fabulous book to listen to because you have such a beautiful voice. So thank you. I love listening <laughs> to your audio. So thank you for doing your own recording and narration because I know that's a lot of work, but it's been such a joy to listen to. And your bridge framework, I would love to return to that because as I was listening to your bridge framework, which is you built for the workplace, I was like, oh, this could absolutely be in schools, in family. I mean, it's very much could be anywhere in society. So I'm going to like put a pin in that. We'll come back. Sure. I, before we move forward, I want to back up just a little bit. And I want to talk about your experience and your journey into motherhood as an immigrant and woman of color. Because I think these are stories that get overlooked and not shared. And I think that these are stories that are so important for all of us to hear. Um, so thank you in advance for sharing a little bit about your experience as an immigrant mom. Yeah, thank you so much. And Sarah, this is such a nuanced topic for me because I certainly arrived to this country and became a mother and currently still am an immigrant. And that brought with it those set of challenges that one can imagine and some of the stories we've heard and sadly some of the stereotypes, right? Like you come in to this country, I moved as an adult in my 20s, but still, you know, culture shock and people being like, where are you from? And, you know, not really being able to fit in and mostly having a hard time building community. That was very much part of my experience, very much part of sort of, yeah, that's what's common, I think, among a lot of immigrants. I also came to this country with a tremendous amount of privilege, right? Whether it was socioeconomic, whether it was too you know, reputable college degrees, whatever that means, whether it was the ability to speak English perfectly. So these were the things where it was, like it's a very nuanced topic for me. And I think that's why I don't have a great, awesome, crystal clear answer about this because I faced a lot of the challenges that I think immigrant women of color do when they come to a new country, right? I mean, the inability or truly facing bias and facing pushback when you're trying to build community. And for me, I really felt that in Seattle. That was what was, I would say, really surprising and painful and hard about the motherhood journey more than anything else, more than the actual physical and physiological and even some of the mental, obviously we, you know, we know about those things, but really feeling rejected. Like I remember going to playgrounds and going up to, you know, parents with kids who are the exact same age as my kid, obviously, you know, whether it was like as a baby or as like a toddler you know, playing on the same equipment and going up to the parents and being like, hi, like, I'm Rachita. I have my son is, you know, whatever it was, six months or two years or whatever it is. And at every stage getting rebuffed, you know, at every stage, wow. like parents being like, mm, you know, who are you? And I think that is the true impact of racism and, you know, xenophobia, like true, like 
you are like, you don't belong here, not in my backyard. And I really felt a lot of that as a parent. And honestly, if I, when I reflect back on my parenting experiences, when I reflect back on my motherhood experiences, that's very defining for me. And that Mm -hmm. actually defines very much how I think in some way, I mean, it was very painful. And then in some ways, I think it led to the moment that brought me to writing inclusion on purpose, where I really said to myself, you know, a lot of what I experienced in the workplace before becoming a mom, unfortunately carries on into society at large, whether you're a mother later on, my son will face it as a, you know, as a Brown boy and later a Brown man. And I realized that I, this gave me that fuel to want to make change. So it's not a very like happy, fluffy, light story of being right. an immigrant woman of color. There's a lot more nuance to it. There's a lot of, as he grows older, it's like that question of how do we retain our culture while also mm-hmm. ensuring he has the tools he needs to be successful in America as it is right now. Not only the aspiration of what we hope it will be, where it truly will be a lot more inclusive, we're a very diverse country. We're the world's most diverse country in the, you know, but we aren't the most inclusive. So I think there's a lot there to unpack, honestly. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what an incredibly heartbreaking and traumatic experience. And I'm also thinking that or I'm curious, I guess, that you knew that this is how culture was in the world. You knew this was part of workplace mm-hmm. culture. You had experienced that. You'd seen it. It was like very firm for you that this already existed in the workplace. But then to have that carry over into motherhood and not see it coming, I would just imagine added so many layers, pain, and again, potentially trauma to an experience that's already really, really hard. Like mm-hmm. motherhood is just like shell shocking, even under the best of circumstances. Totally. totally. Um, and to, to add to that in that way is extremely challenging. I think the word that mm-hmm. I came to when I think about it right now, after all these years, when I reflect on it is grief, because there was a mm-hmm. part of me that felt like, because this is so hard and, and truly really hard. The early years are extremely challenging, even in the best of circumstances. Like you said, I just assumed that there'd be an inbuilt camaraderie. And again, that's part of the privilege I have. The more work I do when I speak with, especially black women, when I speak with Latinx women who have been in this country for much longer than I have, you realize that actually for other people, for many other communities of women of color, especially folks who have been here for a long time, who have you know ancestrally been here for years and generations, you realize that actually most other communities, they find their buffer. They find the people who are going to hold them up because they, they know, they automatically know that, you know, your experience of motherhood is not going to be my experience of motherhood. And just because it's very hard, there's not going to be an automatic camaraderie, which is something that I kind of very naively and in many ways, my privilege, you know, made me think like, oh, of course, it's going to be the same. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be able to talk about how hard it is, regardless of our skin color or our background or our experiences. That was definitely an experience where I was like, or that was definitely those formative moments where I was like, wow, it really is different. And there people sometimes don't want to go deep because they would rather than find that shared camaraderie of how hard parenthood is. They would rather, you know, put up barriers and borders truly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the things you talk about in the book is you address the difference between diversity and inclusion, which I want to touch on in a minute. You also talk about the, about bias and unconscious bias and how you intentionally don't address or talk about unconscious bias as much anymore, if at all, because it's, when we talk about unconscious bias, it kind of gives people like me, it gives white women, it gives white moms on the playground, kind of this like crutch to be like, oh, but I didn't know that I was accidentally being racist. (laughs) And that (laughs) doesn't make it okay to be accidentally racist just because you didn't recognize it. And to your point around the difference between diversity and inclusion, 
is diversity can be this playground full of moms who all look different and have different stories and backgrounds and life lived experiences. And inclusion is like, who's actually talking to each other on the playground. And you actually used, you used a great quote in the book. It was about like being invited to the party versus yeah, Vern communicating Myers. at the party versus yes. go, I'll let you, so, can you share that? And then kind of talk about yeah. that, the difference between diversity and inclusion. Yeah. So I love this quote from Vern Myers, who's VP of inclusion strategy at Netflix, who essentially says diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And then I add you know, my addition to it as equity is being part of the planning committee. So both mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion are outcomes, right? You can measure who's, you know, if we use the party metaphor and we take it further, you can measure who's represented at the party, who's different, et cetera, et cetera. And then inclusion is, you know, who's dancing, who's participating, who's really, you know, who's speaking up essentially, if we think about it from a workplace or society standpoint. Equity, when you think about the planning committee, there's still, it really rethinks and reshapes power if you think about equity, because both diversity and inclusion require someone in power to invite you to the party and invite you to dance, right? But the power is still in their hands. But equity says, what are those barriers that have held people of color, people from other underestimated and marginalized identities out of whatever the situation is, whether it's society, whether it's a workplace, whether it's a playground, and how can we ensure that they have power? We're co-sharing and co-creating power. And I think that's a question that doesn't get, or that's a framing that I think sometimes gets missed in the diversity and inclusion question and framing and narrative, because so much of it is just, oh, well, let us just make sure that we have the numbers represented, right? And right, that's like kind of that's plugging things in. Right. That's where it starts and ends rather than let us think about how our systems have been really harmful. And the harder work is working to dismantle those barriers to ensure that everyone truly has equal opportunity. Absolutely. You talk. So I've actually first learned of your work on Brene Brown's podcast and which by the way, congratulations. You've been on twice now. I I mean, like what a life dream to be on Brene's show once and then to get on twice. But the first interview that you did was with Jodi Ann Beery and it was an incredible conversation on imposter syndrome. And I would love to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. And because what you just said, when we look at changing things, changing systems, and really shifting outcomes. It is not just about inviting people to plug in certain spots, you know, for metrics and data. And it's not about changing the people. It's about changing the system. And that's what you really got at in your work around imposter syndrome with Jodi Ann. Can you talk a little bit about not just changing people, but changing systems? And so like, it is really like, who are the party planners? How do we totally change the system mm-hmm. so that the party planners and the organizers and the people that the shared power looks completely different? Yeah. And actually, Sarah, like I love the opportunity to talk about imposter syndrome as a systemic issue. Yes. Actually, and systems that really exacerbate it in mothers, right? Because already in a patriarchal, capitalist, racist system, you know, moms and women who identify, femme identifying folks who give birth are really, and, and to be fair, just caretakers in general, are really shamed and really treated like whatever they do, they're not doing enough, right? And we know this, we know in the more heteronormative and in a more heterosexual 
relationship. I've seen this in models of parenthood. It's like the father, you know, changes the diaper and the whole world claps for them. And, you know, even today (laughs) where, you know, even, even in today, even right now in 2022, there are times where I'll have to travel for work or to, to talk about the book and people are like, Oh my God. So who's home with your son? And I'm like, well, I'm in a relationship with someone and my son has a father and his father is very present in his life. So you know, why is it not a big deal when his father travels for work, but it is a big deal when I am. And it's like, oh my gosh, are you sure he'll be okay? What about meals and all of that, which is really just frustrating. But I think what exacerbates that feeling of like self-doubt, right? And we talk about healthy self-doubt in our article, which I feel is very normal and should be. It's very human before you do something really big. I think it's a great idea before you go down the parenthood journey to, I think you should feel healthy self-doubt. You should feel like, do we have everything we need? Are we in the right place? Is this the right thing for us? I actually wish more people would do that. I wish in some ways, I wish even I had done more of it. At the same time, I think the level of shame and the expectations of perfectionism that we put, especially on folks who identify as women, as mothers, and then to add to that, those additional layers of, you know, having to deal with ableist, racist, patriarchal, you know, systems, et cetera. I think it really exacerbates those feelings of self-doubt into what can become really, you know, destructive, not constructive, but destructive levels of, you know, lack of self-confidence in your motherhood or in your parenthood. And I think we need to talk a little bit about that, right? Like, I'll give you an example. I wasn't able to breastfeed and all the narrative around me was like, oh my goodness, like you have to. And the, at that time, the American Academy of Pediatrics said it's, you should at least breastfeed for a year. Now it's up to two. And oh my gosh, like your child will have this problem, that problem. And look at the data. And I'm very data driven. I remember reading every single study I could lay my hands on. And I was like, oh my God, my child's going to have this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. I understand why there was such a, you know, why there was a narrative and momentum around, you know, why breast is best and all of that. But the reality is I couldn't, right? It wasn't something that was available for me. And I felt so miserable. I felt so horrible. I felt in every way like I'd failed as a parent. I haven't shared the story before. And what was interesting and what helped me get over those very, very painful feelings of doubt and lack of confidence and like I was horrible was actually then being in community with women of color from my community in Asia. You know, I think of my mom, my mother-in-law, for example, who basically said to me, oh, like you're formula fed, our kids are formula fed. You know, my husband, like knock on wood, we're all, you know, healthy and all of that. And there was a lot of like, listen, like this is already hard enough. Like don't kill yourself over this. And I just imagine like if we take that example into other areas of our lives, you know, it's the same thing that I see in the workplace. This is what I see, like women of color, we bring our best selves, we're overqualified, we do our best, all of those things. And then we were there in front of a system that tells us like, oh, you're not good enough. Like, here's what's missing. Here's what you need to do more of. And even Mm -hmm. when you do more of that, you still feel like you fail. So I think for us to think about and for us to reframe the narrative around imposter syndrome, we have to think about that in every single area of our lives, not just the workplace, because I definitely, the part of my life and the part of my identity where I have felt the most 
shamed the most, like you're not good enough, like you shouldn't, you're not even qualified is trying to conform to ideals of motherhood that were not built for me, that were not built with me in mind. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I had a horrendous experience trying to breastfeed and it was a six month journey that really deeply impacted my first year of mothering. And I regret that I worked as hard as I did at it because I could have had a really different journey with my child. And so I look back at that time and I'm mad that I tried to, I'm like, God, I should have just done formula, like so much better. But what I learned from that experience and torturing myself for mm-hmm. so long is first of all, so many other moms could, when I started talking about it, so many moms were like, oh yeah, breastfeeding is like the hardest thing I've ever done. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't, most moms don't find it to be easy and enjoyable. And, or most of the moms I've talked to, I also mm-hmm. Same. over time realized and, or came to this conclusion. And I would love to know your thoughts. Cause I think it's very aligned with what you're saying that I think mom guilt is a social construct very similarly to how you're talking about imposter syndrome as a social construct. And when we look at mom guilt as a social construct, it doesn't mean that we don't feel guilty. Like we absolutely, we can feel horrible and we can have this doubt and we can carry oftentimes shame with it. But if we can acknowledge objectively that this is a social construct, that we have been socialized to believe we should do certain things in certain ways and uphold certain values and meet certain metrics, then we can step back and be like, oh, wait, these are rules made by someone else probably a white male who worked for the American Pediatric Association (laughs) who's never actually breastfed a kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then we can have this objective perspective that like, I can acknowledge this is hard. I can mourn that it's not what I thought it was going to be. And also like, (laughs) screw you society for putting me in this position to have to carry all of this. And then also give myself permission to like back out of it a bit to be like, I'm not carrying all that. Like that's society Mm. might say that, but I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to own it. I'm not going to honor it. I think the number one thing, I I love what you said about mom guilt being a social construct. The most important part of it is acknowledging it and then being able to let it go. And I see that, right. I'm in a heterosexual relationship with, you know, a Brown man who very much I can see like those moments of conflict do arise right for him as well, but never to the same level, never like 
I can't make this meeting or I, you know, or I can't do this thing for our kid or, or I need to travel. There is that conflict. There is that moment of like, oh, I'm sorry. It's going to be like, you're going to have to solo parent this week. I need to travel. And I see, I see that moment of like, I'm sorry, this is going to be hard, right? To not feel that is a lack of empathy and a lack of you know, right. humanness, which I think many people, you know, I think that in general, most men I know, most straight men I know in this journey will say that, yeah, I feel that, but it's momentary. It doesn't get snowballed in the same way with imposter syndrome. Of course, you should feel self-doubt a little bit. Of course, you should feel a little bit, as they said, you know, even in the workplace, like I'm leading this big project or I'm hiring a big new team or I'm going to get this brand new big job. Of course, you should feel a little bit of like, wow, okay, it's a big deal. Like, you know, it's it's like readying yourself to bungee jump or skydive or something <laughs> like that, right? Totally. Hopefully, hopefully you feel a little bit like make, making sure like the harness is on okay and you're, you're safe, your parachute's working. Same things. The issue then becomes, again, how it's pathologized in women. Mm-hmm. And I see this again with my husband, like that moment of guilt is momentary and then it passes and he's able to let it go because society isn't telling him like, you're a terrible father, like you're so bad at this. This is terrible for you. Your child will grow up with all these plethora of, you know, deficiencies because you had to travel for three nights for work, <laughs> you know, the way, but I seriously feel that sometimes. I mean, you oh, know, totally. every time I travel, I'm like, I'm taking red eyes. I'm taking like, you know, I'm doing everything I can so that I'm not missing another bedtime. And it's really, it's hard, right? We need to. And then when you're there, permission. you're like doubling down. Totally. So when you're there, you're like, totally. I want him to remember that I showed up for everything. So I'm going to like show up five times for everything while I'm in town. And I have this when I go through seasons of travel. Oh my God. I'm like, so I'm like, I'm going to be like a 500% mom while I'm in town. And then when I'm traveling, cause I'm like, I have to make up for that. And it's so exhausting. Like you get off the plane and you're just like <laughs> immediately putting on your, your best oh. mom costume. And it's so, <laughs> yeah. I actually heard Brene Brown talk about this. She's like, when I get back from traveling, I'm so spent that I have, she's like, I had to start buffering with my family to be like, I'm coming back from, you know, speaking for two days. I'm going to be in bed for 24 hours. And <sighs> that felt like this really like, how dare she, in her mind, she was like, how dare I ask for that? But also as an introvert, she's like, I was a disaster trying yes. to shift from like speaker life to mom life in like the flip of a coin, like on an Uber ride home from the airport. <laughs> but, it's but I, so hard. <laughs> so hard. Can I just tell you the story? Like next week, I'm I'm going to take my son's class. You know, I'm going to be a chaperone to the pumpkin patch. And all the moms with older children were like, it's just not a great experience. Like it's going to be, you're going to be filled with mud and there are porta potties. And like, believe me, it's just like, if you can back up, back out. But what did I do? No, I signed up because a week after that, I have to travel for work. So I was like, nope, that's me. I'm the mom. Like I'm going to do it. And believe me, next week, I'm going to come back from this trip, from this field trip, and I'm going to be a disaster, but you'll be like, yeah. never again. Never <laughs> again. And then I'll try and pass that knowledge on to the younger, you know, the moms with younger kids for next year, but they're not going to listen to me either. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh my gosh. I want to talk a little bit about your bridge framework and whether you want to walk us through the whole thing or just pieces of it, but because I think it's so incredibly valuable. And this is the part that I, I referenced earlier as I was listening to your book, that this is a framework that can be used in the workplace, which is, I think you designed it with that intention, 
but it is an incredible framework that I think every step of it, I was like, this should just be everywhere. Like, this is how I want, I want to use this everywhere and to be showing up as a more conscientious and consistent ally, accomplice, advocate, like leader in the community. So can you talk us through whatever pieces of that feel right to touch on? Yeah. And actually, Sarah, I'd be curious out of the bridge framework. I mean, I can talk about what it is, but essentially out of the bridge framework, was there a part that really stood out to you, right? Like be uncomfortable, you know, reflect on what you don't know, invite feedback, defensiveness doesn't help grow from mistakes and then expect change takes time. Was there? I'm just nodding my head vigorously. (laughs) I know. Thank you. Yeah. I can absolutely address that because some of those things I've gotten a lot better at in the last few years some of them I've been bad at my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so like, and not in the context of like sure. race and culture, but in the context sure. of just like taking feedback across sure. my lifespan has not been joyful for me. <laughs> so what stood out to me was sitting in discomfort, which is something that I've really worked on after making some missteps with that. And then taking feedback without getting defensive. And in certain parts of my life, I've taken feedback and not I I guess when I think of defensiveness, I feel like I think of kind of an aggressive tone, which I don't, sometimes I'm sure I can be that way, but I also think sometimes defensiveness can look like making excuses. Hmm. And that's where I was like, oh, I want to be able to take feedback and internalize as objectively as possible to recognize like, oh, okay, now this is valuable data that I can use to be better moving forward instead of like, no, but I did it this way because of this. So therefore I'm not a bad person really. (laughs) Hmm. Totally. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think the, for me, what comes up is I think we all, all again, back to human traits, you know, it is very human to feel defensive when you are criticized or hear something that makes you uncomfortable. And it's very human to want to, you know, put up your sort of defenses. It's very human to say like, I don't, now I don't want to take feedback again, because it's very hard. And I think acknowledging that is really important. And without acknowledging that, I don't think we're going to make the change that we want to. So even when I think of some of the moments in my life, and I it literally happens regularly, you know, people think like, oh, Richard gave written this book and now you're good. You don't even have to deal with any of this. <laughs> Not true at all. In fact, most of the time I have to dive into conversations mm-hmm. regularly that make me you know, that really challenged me, that stretched me. I mean, I talk a lot in the book about what it meant growing up in a society which was very, very heteronormative, very patriarchal. And on top of that, you know, had a very, like a very, very, very binary and and strong concept of what it meant to, you know, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And there's absolutely no, nothing, no fluidity and there's nothing else in between. And so I really think that when you go through and when you walk through and when you create frameworks like this, you have to live it your own self every single day. I'm always very skeptical of people who are like, I've mastered the art of anything that they teach. I always, I'm terrible at meditation, for example. And I'm always skeptical of people. I'm skeptical of people who are like, I can meditate for like six or eight hours. You know, I'd rather, (laughs) and I'm drawn towards people who might meditate for six or eight or 10 or 12 or 14 or 20 hours because that's their practice. And then talk about how it's really hard and talk about how it's like, you know, you want to run away from it. And it's doubling down on that thing that you want to achieve mastery off that will help you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Oh my goodness. Oh, Hortika, this is so fun. I could talk to you for so long. Can you tell us as we start wrapping up here, can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? <laughs> I'm literally, aside I'm from lit- the pumpkin patch, <laughs> I am literally showing up as a shameless mom in everything I do. I think the, so actually let's, if you have a few moments, let's dive into like, what does it mean to be a shame? What does it mean to you to be a shameless mom? I love that you asked. So people ask me when I ask this question, people will often we send it out in an email, like, Hey, these are the questions Sarah wants to touch on in the interview. And people often email back and they're like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you want me to say with that question? And I'm like, it can mean anything. It can mean like you made your kid macaroni and cheese for the fifth day in a row, or it can mean that like you're, you know, teaching your kid how to speak up about injustice in the classroom. So when I think about it, I think of it as how are you, for me, how am I using my voice? How am I building legacy? And then how am I raising my child to do the same? A huge piece of it for me is being really conscientious that I'm raising a white male. But my answer five years ago when he was five was more like, how am I taking time for myself and not putting everything into him? So I think my answer evolves over time and it's kind of fluctuates with this spectrum of like, how much of being a shameless mom is being conscientious of like maintaining my own agency and not having everything be wrapped up in my kid. And then this other part of it is like so much of it's wrapped up in my kid. Like, how am I going to raise a white male? So there's, it's a big spectrum. Yeah. I think for me, when I think about, and indeed, you know, there are, there's a lot about my life, which will be, it will show you that I'm a shameless mom in the sense that I, I fail. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of things, which prioritize and especially again coming from that legacy of being you know from the south asian from the indian culture my mom while i was growing up was a stay-at-home mom so i saw a very different model of what motherhood looked like and so there i feel guilt like all the time and i feel like wow i'm failing all the time and making all taking all these shortcuts and time for myself all the time right part of it is because i'm living a very different reality compared with what i saw models of motherhood looked like so there's that yeah But the more I'd say the way that I really feel like I'm showing up as a shameless mom right now is trying to raise a brown boy in America who has both empathy and kindness and love for others, but also for himself. Because Mm -hmm. as you know, I know we're both fans of, you know, Dr. Sonora Jha close friend of yes, mine. We didn't even her. talk about <laughs> We didn't even talk about her. See, this is the thing. But um, she's so her, great. She's, saying she's, she's a past so guest. great. Yes. And she's a past guest in her amazing book, How to Raise a Feminist Son. Truly like the best manifesto ever on this yes. topic, in my opinion. The best parenting book I've ever read. And I'm not biased. No, I'm not saying that because she's my friend. <laughs> but oh, she's, no, I agree. I, I, I endorse that as well. <laughs> yeah, she's great. But the thing that she told me when my son was like truly a baby. She said, Ruchika, you're going to raise a brown son in America. You have to tell him he's handsome. You have to tell Mm -hmm. him he's good looking, that he's beautiful. Because what happens is, and I remember this growing up, you know, we were, we were taught, like I went to a very international school. Of course, whiteness is a global export. There, there were white kids in my school. And it was very clear that the hierarchy was attractiveness meant whiteness, not brownness or any of like our features or skin color, all of that. And so she said, like, remember that society is going to tell him, like, they may call him smart. They may call him, he might be told all these other stereotypes of what brown and Asian boys and men are later 
you know, sort of what's put on them, but very few people, if at all, are ever going to call him handsome or good looking or Mm -hmm. beautiful or attractive. So she's like, that is your role. Like, forget everything else. I know you're going to do a good job of raising him as a kind boy and like a smart boy and like all of that, but remember to tell him he's handsome. And so I really go out of my way and my way to show up as a shameless mom for my brown boy and hopefully for other kids of color is you are beautiful. You have something really attractive about you, right? And it doesn't have to be like the aesthetical, aesthetic, physical thing. It's more like you have an inner light in you that shines bright. And I know that sounds a bit hope, but I feel like that's really important. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. The I think that answer, but that context and background is really significant. Thank you for that. Thank you. Ruchika, where can people find you, get the book, connect with you, all of that good stuff? Well, I think the best place is if you just head over to my website, which if you type inclusiononpurpose.co, inclusiononpurpose.co, that's where you can find me. And then please reach out to me. Would love your feedback. Would love to talk with you about the book. So thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you. We will link everything in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Ruchika. And now I'm going to say your last name. This is my practicing Tolshian. Did I get it? Yay. (laughs) Ruchika Tolshian. And then we will have links to the book, to your website, to social media and everything linked right there. And people can just pop on through. Oh my goodness, Ruchika. Thank you so much for your time and your vulnerability and everything that you shared with us. And when you write the next book or have anything else to say, I'm always here. I have so many more things we can talk about. So please come back and join us again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you for creating the space for all of us to be shameless moms together. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. 
and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.